Faith Over Breakfast with Eric uh, from the Village Church, and I am happy and excited and other emotional things to be sitting not with Andy, but with my two co-pastors at the Village. I've got Mark to my left and Rod to my right. Hello. It's good to see you guys. Good to be here. Rod would be the person with the deeper voice. (laughs) They've both been on Faith Over Breakfast before. Uh, we didn't have this quality uh, mics and things that we have now. I'll say, last time I, I came on, I listened to it afterwards, and I was like, wow, I sound miserable. <laughs> well, that's terrible. <laughs> anyway, so I don't know if you ever really listen to Faith Over Breakfast, but one of the things that I like to do is talk about food. Andy doesn't really like to talk about food, but I like talking about food. So we should talk about food. And uh, so... Rod, what is your most like favorite restaurant in Tucson to go to that's reasonably priced? Well, technically it's not in Tucson, but it's Argenziano's. If you go down Houghton as far south as you can go, there's an Italian food place that has the most amazing seafood soup that you've ever eaten in your life. It is so good. So I think that would be my go-to birthday dinner. Birthday dinner. Once in a blue moon date night with my wife all right place to go and that's what you're getting you're getting seafood soup seafood soup is anything else good the rest of it's great they have a good red sauce they have um it's it's fine italian food a good pizza but i love the seafood soup there it's the best it's better than vivaci's although i've had vivaci's and that's another nice place but this is by far the best so it kind of depends on what genre, right? Like if you're going out for a steak or... What is, what is seafood soup? Is that what you said? shrimp and clams and... Um, uh, Lots of different fish things. Every kinds of, yeah. In like a broth? Shelf it in a broth with vegetables, a tomato broth. Oh, wow. Oh, it's so good. I make it myself, but I can never make it as good as I can get it. Which is always the thing, right? Like if you can get, make it at home, why go better out? Better than why go out. But but I can I can always uh, count on it to be far better than anything mm-hmm. I eat. So, yep, mm. or make. So what about you, Mark? Like what's like what your go-to thing? Well, so I I have a problem answering this question because for me it's all about dishes at particular places. So. Pick a dish then at a particular place that okay. is going to kind of reign supreme in your life. Uh, the spring rolls with peanut sauce at Miss Saigon are one of my most favorite things um, huh. for food in life. Just wow. the peanut sauce in general, but the spring rolls dipped in the peanut sauce. I just so you're kind of a peanut sauce guy. I love peanut sauce. I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it's we went. Lane and I went on a trip to California, and we went. We found this Indonesian place, which Lane was really excited about, and they had chicken satay, and it was incredible. And that, I mean, that was really the first time where peanut sauce, like, just kind of came into my brain as something that was a real thing. Right. You kind of met the Jesus of peanut. Yes. Sauce. Yeah. That chicken satay at that Indonesian restaurant. Satay. Satay. Because I love it too. But then, just like peanut sauce in general, so this place, the Miss Saigon, with the, the, which is a very popular 
Yeah, I like Knight Demon Saigon. It's got some good things in it. But the spring rolls with the peanut toss is is one of my favorite things ever. Hmm. Nice. I'd also take the quesadillas at uh, the quesadilla, the Manchego quesadillas at um, Calle Tepa are very good. And um, uh, one nostalgic thing for me is the fish and chips at Canyon's Crown. Uh, because that's what I got on my first date with my wife, and uh, those are very uh, good. That's disgusting. They're actually not very good. They're, <laughs> they're pretty. Probably, they're pretty awful. They're probably pretty. Bad. They're really not very good. <laughs> but yeah, I really I enjoy them because it's very such a romantic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so today is uh, voting day, oh, which yes. I, this goes live. I guess not. It won't be live. This goes up on Friday, so we will. We'll know the results. We'll know the results of everything. But just now that we don't know the results, any like predictions? Uh, how you think that things are going to move politically in our in our world? I think it'll be status quo. Status quo. I have no idea. I think for the first time in my life, I cannot predict. I've always been pretty good at predicting outcomes. I have no idea what's going to happen. I think... There's, it's as divided a time as we've ever had in the history that I know of, and it's there's just no working together. So it'll be interesting. Well, and that's that's my trouble with voting is I don't feel like anyone actually represents me um, and what I what I believe, which is a hard thing to, to right. It's hard to step into voting when the person I'm supposed to be voting for doesn't actually represent what I believe. Sure. I mean, and that's the weird part of our politics is that they represent more than one person. Yep. And that's, you know, an interesting concept in itself. All right. You feel like you don't have as loud a voice. Yeah. Well, and you wouldn't have any voice if you're subservient to a king, right? Right. So that would be great because then you just you do it or you lose your head. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, whereas we have, this is a weird experiment in that we actually have a voice in how we're governed. But it's such a small voice that it, right. um, and then you build all these coalitions. And then in our ever fractured world, we, we honor the extremes instead of finding middle Mills. ground. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the fascinating thing is that we have how many people are in our country now? Two hundred fifty million. Oh goodness, we're up. I thought we were up closer to four hundred. Are we closer to four hundred? But we have two, maybe even we five. Have, we basically have two political parties, right? Which is just absurd. It, it doesn't make any sense. So, the idea that everyone is represented by two, two basic platforms is, um, is absurd. It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, we, I don't want to get too deep into politics. <laughs> I was just looking to get our, our prediction, which is obviously, who knows? I, I did hear that, I guess this is, there's like a record number of vote, voting has midterm, already happened in the midterm. Record number of midterm voting. There are more people voted, who voted uh, prior to today, this year in Arizona, than voted in their entirety at the last election. Wow. So people already sent in their ballots, and more of those have come in than all the ballots cast in the last election. I just heard that. That's crazy. That is amazing. That is really amazing. Well, part of it is, then you don't have to go to the poll. You just send in your stuff. Right. 
I, I do have a I do have a longing, and that would be that the moment you sent in your ballot, you would no longer receive robocalls, <laughs> or political advertisements. Right. And your TV totally. would suddenly just x out all the political. I did. I did get on on some list, <laughs> and I thought it, it was bad for me. But then, um, a, a person in our church was telling me about his experience, where he he and his wife are on are registered as opposite parties but somehow his wife's number got connected to his name or his his wife's his wife's name got connected to his number so he gets calls from everyone. from everyone and he was going through his list of and he was going through his list of text messages that he had gotten and then oh my god he has a landline too and so he's telling me about all the uh, political messages and sometimes he like saves them because he thinks they're funny it was <laughs> I felt really bad for him because I was like, I thought I had it bad. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I didn't have it that bad. Um, anyway, we can make, make a shift to just talking about, uh, since we're going to talk about the village since this is, you know, who cares about mission church? Cause they're, you know, Andy's not here, uh, but we're going over the values of the village. Um, and we started out with truth and we talked about what the disciplines I think next and then creativity and community, and uh, this last week we talked about authenticity, and I thought maybe we could at least start there and having maybe a more uh, robust conversation about authenticity. I listened to both sermons, my own, and I listened to yours, and I thought there were two questions at the end of it, each one that were very similar. Uh, one was about having a physical disability, and that and, and that person thinking through their life based on that being an identity of theirs, and she was asking, "Well, does that mean that I don't like I can't think of myself with this disability as an identity?" And then another young lady in your sermon was talking about her own struggles in life and having two different worlds: one world not knowing that identity at all, and, and kind of maybe even seeing her as competent, and then in her other world. Um, being known with this this disability, and so like the struggle between like offering that identity and the risk of offering that in in, in the world, and well, and I think you have to clarify it because no, the, you could do that. The the it wasn't your sermon. There, like well, it wasn't my <laughs> sermon. It was both of you spoke, and Eric focused more on um, that our identity that authentically living is living in Jesus and in the identity that Jesus has given us. Um, and so our, our identities that we take on in our lives, some of them as, as disabilities, some of them just as identities that have been given to us are sort of are secondary to our identity as followers of Christ, as, as people who right. believe in Jesus. And I would even argue that there aren't identities. Right. And that, so the response to that was, well, if I am, disabled then what does that if i i have a physical disability what does that mean for for that right and then rod focused more on living authentically means actually being authentic about what your state is and where you're at in life um and and being honest about having add i think was the sort of the main thing um there were other parts of that but and that that actually was sort of the label that you were pushing against 
Um, and so the response was, well, how do I live authentically in my, in my disability? Um, and should I just tell, is living authentically just telling everybody about my disability? Um, so it was in, they're, they're, they were two very similar questions, but I think out of different places. Yes. I think the key word was risk, right? Because you mentioned, like, how do you risk? Um, risk living out your identity in Christ, but risk being honest about whatever it is that, like, for me, it is ADD. I am totally unfocused. So when I try to pretend that I'm not, it's not like, oh, the world doesn't know. Um, <laughs> the world very clearly knows. Um, my wife is deeply impacted by my ADD stuff, um, and and my sons as well. And so, um, and so is my church. So are you guys? Um, because it's just it's part of that. So is that an identity? I don't think so, but it's certainly a reality. And I think you just speaking out the realities of you know, I will make you promises that I will participate in something and then it will never cross my mind again until the next time I see you and you remind me. So I think um, to live authentically, I think, is to just be honest about your struggles, your suffering, and all those things. But I think I might have gone too far in the sermon in the sense that I probably should have allowed for more of the there's a time and a place for everything. So there's, you know, there's not always, I don't have to go into my boss or my would-be boss and say, oh, you're, if you hire me, here's the list of all my, right, here's the my list flaws. Of my, <laughs> um, although I suspect if you actually did that, and if everyone did that, it would be a far better world. It, because, it would be. Right. And I think I, I was probably trying to move more towards the idea that, so, right, you, your primary identity is in Christ. And you struggle with the brokenness of your life, having sort of some brain stuff where you're um, ADD. So I tell you that, hey, we agreed to meet somewhere, and then we don't, let's say, and then you, because you forget until I remind you. Well, that's really hurtful, and actually you sinned against me. But my thing that I was speaking to was to not wear that, ADD as a clothing of an right. excuse right. for not hurting me. Like, oh, it doesn't matter because I have ADD, so you kind of have to live with it. And it's sort of like a, uh, a saying, well, Jesus doesn't have the power to transform this. He doesn't have a power to help me, you know, in relationship with people. Like, it, it becomes... So I think that's kind of where I was trying to push more at is so that people don't clothe themselves in these identities and, and create victims out of themselves. Um, well, and I think that's the really powerful thing, is that the, there are things that are true about us, like having ADD. Right. But actually, the the first, our first and our primary identity, and arguably our only identity, is as, as followers of Jesus. And actually, taking that that label or that mantle or whatever it is that that ADD and bringing it underneath that identity and saying, you know, what is, what does it look like for me to live into my identity as, as a, as a Christ follower, as someone who follows Jesus and bring that under that. That's the, the, where there's power for 
not not even transformation and change, but just power of like what is true about me and what does Jesus say is true and how do I live this out and being able to use that in my story. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, I think it's true. I was thinking as I was listening to your sermon, I think that the things that, I mean, what I really liked about the sermon really was in its almost evangelistic kind of concept of you're interviewing this person who doesn't want to own a reality. Right. And and I thought that that, like, so you kind of were going after it in, there are realities. And in some ways you were staying more true to the definition that we have in our, you know, on our website for authenticity, which is we don't want to be part of a community that ignores or pretends like, you know, we aren't struggling and that we don't have addictions and that we aren't ADD. Like, and like, and try, you try really hard to like have it all together all the time and have people see you as a guy who has it together. Um, but at the same time, then you, I don't think, I didn't feel like you were necessarily saying, oh, well, but my ADD is my excuse. Right. Because um, I, I right. would, yeah, I would push hard against victimhood. I am not, the, I'm not a victim. I, there, I always laugh because if you spend enough time with someone, whatever their thing is, you can find where they use it as a crutch. I remember my son, uh, Derek, went, who has a, suffers from agoraphobia, agoraphobia and ADD and, and lots of other things. And his... At one point, we were discussing something, and he and he said, "Dad, just because I'm mentally ill, doesn't mean I'm not a sinner, right?" And that was just yes, because there's that tendency in me to excuse the things around him because, after all, he's got all these mental health issues. And instead of saying, "No, you're a sinner who sins," and, right? And you sin against me, you sin against your mother, you sin against. Um, and 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 for him to recognize that, I think was powerful, and and it helps me recognize that in myself. I think there are true victims. My little sister has cerebral palsy. There's nothing that she did to earn that. So there are victims in the sense of of that she is going. She's very very crippled and and has all kinds of balance issues and falls all the time. And there's a lot of things she's unable to do. But if you would talk to her, she would not see herself as a victim. She would see herself as someone who's made in the image of God, who has good things to offer um, and offers those things. That doesn't mean that she's not occasionally deeply frustrated and longing for her life to change. Well, and I think, I mean, like I talked in my sermon about the fact that I have a severe learning disability. You talked about ADD. Other people, you know, I mean, you've talked about in your life ADD. Like we're we're all in the brain kind of, Brain focus. disease problems. We yeah. all can't focus. It's amazing that we're all focusing right now. <laughs> um, but the reality is, yes, we're victim to that. But at the same time, we can't use it to sin out of it. Right. Like, I, she can't use cerebral palsy or your sister as a way of then taking advantage of people. Right. You know, not offering good things because she's, you know, or demanding that life be a certain way because she has, you know, a particularly debilitating disease. Right. That doesn't mean she can't be vulnerable and ask for help, but there's a difference than that than, than kind of... 
And I think that goes back to the recognizing the realities as opposed to becoming a victim. There are just realities. She's not going to run a race. You know, it's just not going to happen. On the other hand, doctors told her she would never have children, and she's stubborn, and she decided to have children, and it it's costly to her physically, sure. very costly, but she chose to do that, and she, car- and she carries the burdens of having done that uh, in her body still. So I think there are those things of that are just reality, and they, they're not, but I also want to go back to their, they're often... My ADD, you know, if somebody offered me $2 million and told me, but I couldn't miss an appointment for the next year, I bet you I'd find a way. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. so there, are, there are motivation levels. True. Right, exactly. Uh, but what? Anyways, offering me $2 million. I think I'm wondering, what is the impact of authenticity? Why, why be authentic? I thought Eric was supposed to have ask the questions. I... Yeah, but you both of you <laughs> both of you preached on it, and yeah, I didn't no, preach I think, on it. I and think, I, I think that's a good question. I would ask <laughs> you, based on the two sermons that you listened to, what do you think? Did we actually do a decent job of communicating that, or do we? Yeah, maybe we needed to say some other things about it. Yeah, I mean, I think I wonder what is what does it look like to be authentic. Outside, I mean, the conversation that we've had and the conversation that came up after both sermons was like, what about this disability or what about this mental illness or what? It, like, and I wonder for someone who maybe doesn't necessarily have a perceived disability or any mental illness or like, what does it mean to be authentic and why, why do I step into that? Yeah, I, I think it really builds trust. Um, in community, it deepens relationship. If I know someone and they're willing to tell me their struggle, um, they're willing to tell me how they suffer, it builds a far more intimate relationship than if I'm having a relationship with what they're presenting that isn't real, right? So, so you're presenting someone... Uh, in this recent interview I did um, of this lady, like she doesn't want to be known at all for being ADD, but, but, and so she's just horrified that, you know, I would note that because she's trying to hide it. Well, I really liked her when she acknowledged her ADD stuff. It built rapport, it built, it built relationship. I don't think it's hard to be in relationship. And I think in our culture, you see that, right? The plastic images that we get of all our politicians presenting themselves in a certain way, wanting us to think this about them. And then you find out these dirty little secrets or these dark sides or this, you know, some of the other things that they did. If you actually go check voting records and stuff like that, rather than just the image that's presented. So it's hard to have a relationship with an image. Um, you want to have a relationship with a person. Right. I mean, I opened up my sermon talking out of Matthew about Jesus's frustration with the Pharisees who were presenting one thing, but internally were not, yeah. wasn't aligned. And I think part of why we focus on authenticity as a community is we want people to be able to come in and say, okay, well, this, what I see is what I get. On one hand, I think on the other hand, I think if 
if Jesus is the authenticity, the real, like the more we are able to align ourselves with him and clothe ourselves with him and not get wrapped up in our ethnicities and in our ADDs and our like and really cling to who Jesus is, hopefully people will experience that as something very healing because I think being around Jesus is healing. The more we're like Jesus, the more healed I think people become. And I think some of that has to do with us consistently repenting of, hey, man, I, I do use my learning disability as an excuse not to write. It's not, and I've just decided that I don't write, you know, like, and that's become my identity. And all of a sudden, it's not Jesus my identity. My identity is I don't write. Instead of, I struggle with writing, but, you know, I'm still invited to write, you know, or whatever. And I know it's a simple answer, but I think... I don't know. I mean, I think that's that's part of it. I think also when we go out into the world and we're just honest, that's that's kind of not honest in a way to like like as you talked about. I've been talking around this sermon as we've talked about things like total honesty, like or total openness. Right, total openness is the wrong solution. Yes, yeah, so from Larry Crabb. Like, Thank you, Larry Crabb. It's, it's not like me telling you everything I think about you, and I'm right. being authentic. Like I have these things, and they're not great. So I'm just going to tell you. Like it's not destructive. Um, authenticity, like Christ's authenticity is love, and so when you bring that into the world, um, I think it, people are kind of shocked and uncomfortable because it's not normal. It is interesting that Jesus was either silent or or he spoke the truth. So I think a lot of times we just don't take advantage of silence, right? I don't have to answer every question. Sure. I, don't, I don't have to speak to everything. Like I don't have to be completely open and like are you the son of man? Are you the son of God? Um, he gets asked, and at first he doesn't. He just doesn't answer. He just doesn't respond to the question, and then eventually he says, "I am the Messiah." Wow! Um, so he speaks truth, or he doesn't speak. And so often, I think we're anxious to present ourselves, and Jesus wasn't. He was simply speaking the truth. Well, I think the other reason to be authentic is the world is so hurting. And, I mean, we you start talking to people, and if you can hear anything that's going on in their life, you're like, oh, my gosh, your marriage, you know, you guys aren't talking. You, you're not, you're going to get divorced in a couple of years. I mean, that's, or, you know, you listen to people's stories, and you're like, wow, that's the home you grew up in. That's, like, intense. You, you rarely, when you talk to people here, that they had a blissful life and they lived in a fairy tale. Like we live in a crappy world and we're told that we shouldn't be honest about the pain that that causes. I mean, we should all look like we have it together and be the man's man. Well, and I think what's interesting is, I think Rod alluded to this, is that you, when you go into, when you, when you go into a, a church in particular that feels like it has everything, seems like it has everything together there's there's there is a an undertone almost of i i know everything's not all together i know that everything's not okay because that's true everywhere so it has to be true in this church and i think one thing i've appreciated about the village is that it's not like i mean it's again it's not total openness it's not that everyone's out here going this is everything that's wrong with me and I'm going to tell you everything. And 
it's actually within relationship and within the context of, of, uh, you know, like our pilgrim groups or conversations at church or, um, yeah. So I, I read through the, um, definition of authenticity and there was something that struck me about that that I thought would be interesting to discuss because basically the definition said that we want to walk with people wherever they are in their walk with Jesus. Like if they're people who don't believe but they're just checking things out, if they have different theological ideas than we do, if they are differently politically, um, we want to walk together honestly and not in a way that's, um, now maybe this is, I'm blending the accessibility one too. Like the, either one, like authenticity and accessibility actually seem that, to be That's married. next week. Is that next that's week? That's next week. Is that next <laughs> definition you've read it? Okay, well, maybe we should talk about this then. I, I, I Both of them were kind of, when I read both definitions, I'm like, wow, okay. But I, I guess my question is, how do you do that? How, how as a church do we engage with the other and with difference. I mean, I think that's what the villages strive to do and still stay orthodox in its way of practice, right? Um, it's to strive to be real, strive to be in a place where people are coming from all different places and ways of thinking. Um, like, if you had to think of, like, one thing that really the village like how we operate that helps that happen, what would you say? Wow. I. It's funny because we assume all the time. And so I think part of... I my It was kind of my original value um, when I first started being a pastor 20 some years ago, was that I realized that the church I grew up in was not a place where I could bring friends who weren't believers because people in the church made all sorts of assumptions about the person if they came. They assumed they were Christians. They assumed that they must be visiting from out of state. They assumed all these things. And and I just... I, I just rebelled against that and I wanted to find and help create and be a part of a space where people who had questions who had different ideas could just come and express those things that's I always go back to Jesus doesn't come to bring you know, he's he's not coming for the religious folks. He's coming for the people who need a doctor, right? He need, and so so I think for me, it's being able to sit with someone and hear their story without judgment, without trying to correct, without trying to fix it. Uh, that's really hard because I think as pastor. Particularly, you want to fix things, and and I struggle with that. Struggle with it still, and probably always will. Um, to try to fix things, but to just live into and hear their story, and then, um, and then instead of saying, giving advice or counsel, I think what the village does well is saying, "So, where was Jesus in this? Um, what's Jesus saying? You know, what." 
what's Jesus offering you um, now? And so I think that's that's probably the most helpful thing, I think, is to um, to listen to the story and then and where and usually in our story we come to those painful events if we're people of integrity and honesty sure. we'll come to that point where we acknowledge I don't have it together um, you know or some horrific thing in our lives that that um, would destroy us and so um, so Jesus is there Jesus is speaking to it and so how do I facilitate the conversation between the, the person who is sitting in front of me and Jesus and I don't think that can be done any in any way unless it's powered by love right like you have to really love the stranger that's within your gate <laughs> sure yeah we had a a family friend gave my wife and I a poem they had, they framed a poem about it was a blessing basically it was written as a poem and one of the things was like it said may you always believe the best about each other hmm. um and i think within the context of relationships i mean even at just the village which is growing but isn't a, a large community i mean i have friends who are on every end of the political spectrum and just having had conversations with them, I believe they all long for really good things. And they have, they believe in different ways of going about that. Um, and the, the political discourse and just our culture in general wants to divide that and say, no, you are fundamentally different. Um, when the longing for good things is actually fundamentally the same. Yeah, I think that's. I think you guys touched on two points about what the village does well. I mean, there are other things we don't, but when it comes to accessibility, the willingness to sit in cognitive dissonance with your friends. So, like, yeah, to to sit there and and to listen and know you may think of things a little differently, and then you have this other friend who happens to be a friend with them who thinks things a little differently, and to be able to like truly just enjoy what that person's offering without feeling like you need to like help them reframe it or think of it differently or come to some new discovery, especially when it comes to like politics and things like, like just truly enjoying their fervor and that. And then I think the other thing that you were kind of touching on, which is goes along with the willingness to sit in cognitive distance is listening. Like I think the village like truly treasures people's stories. Like it's funny when somebody starts talking about their story, people, People want to listen. Like, they want to hear it, even if it's a boring storyteller. Like, they're not, you know, really right. highly animated. And um, people, I think people like to listen and enjoy just hearing something new about someone or what their experience has been like. And um, I think the village does a good job of that. You had an interesting question in your Bible study that you did on accessibility, since I guess it's really accessibility that we've transitioned to talking <laughs> about. But I thought, and I'm not going to talk about it in my message, but I, I do think it's interesting because you asked, who is it that you, um, I think like the idea was like, who is it you just can't handle? Like, who's the person that like you're, you don't want to have anything to do with? And the way I answered it was like, well, I don't know if it's a person or 
Like it's actually situations right. that I don't want to be in. Like for instance, I wrote down like I don't like being in public with the person who talks really, really loud. <laughs> right? Like I, I don't like like that's right. where I don't want to be accessible because I don't want people looking at me because we're disrupting things and I don't right. want to be I'm put in a vulnerable position. Yeah. Or even like the thing you were talking about, like the extreme friend who's going, you know, is really like believes something very radical and I know it just hurts and offends someone else and being in that conversation makes me feel very vulnerable. And so even if, even if the other person isn't present, right? It totally. (laughs) So I think it's like those situations. Like, I I mean, I'm pretty okay with, you know, almost, I I think anybody, obviously you have to, you know, there are lots of different situations you have to accommodate people, but it's more that the particular, it's like relational things that I get caught in that I'm like, I don't want to do that. No, I want out of here. As fast as I can get. I don't know. Like, how about you guys? Like, what are the harder people or? Well, I just was going to say accessibility feels somewhat like um, being willing to admit that you don't know things um, that you may you you may not know everything about where the background that the person is coming out of. Sure. Yeah. When I when I look back on my life, there are certainly times when I've felt. Like, I hated child molesters and the act that, you know, I, with a passion, and I want to strangle them to death. That literally, that is who I, so then if I have to be sitting in a room with them, I don't want to be sitting in a room with them. I think they should all be in prison rotting away, right? Except when I worked as a counselor for a while and you heard the story of a guy who was he's on the sex offender list but when you hear what was done to him as a child by his father and abandoned by his mother and the horrible ways in which he was treated like a rag doll um, that's when the gift of mercy kicks in, right? And you start thinking, well, gosh, if that had happened to me, I'd be high on cocaine for the rest of my life as well. Like, um, And then suddenly you find that place of compassion for the person. I think I have to, and then I accompanied a guy who was part of our church um, down to register to the, because you have to stay registered at the sex offender list. You have to go down to the sheriff's office to do that. And I accompanied him and I walked into that room and it was the most depressing place I've ever been in in my life. There is absolutely no hope in that room. None. There's no place that they can send them to that people will let them live. They can't find jobs for them because who wants a sex offender around you? And then I think it's the modern day leper and it's the one Jesus would love. And if I'm walking with him and I'm his kid, and then can I find it in myself to love someone that's incredibly hard to love? Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, so it becomes, I think for me, that's, you know, part of it's just doing the, doing or walking a long time with people, but 
you have to, if I can get, that's why, if I can get past the surface reality and get to the actual story, then you start, then you end up weeping and you end up going, oh, wow. Um, and, and there are people who are evil, I mean, and they do evil things. And, and so, but even then, normally, if you can find a way to listen to the story, and hear the story and what's behind the story. I think that's the beauty of our pilgrim groups as we go deep into the emotion that's there, the, you know, my wife and I are arguing, and then all of a sudden it's not about the wife arguing anymore, it's about something that happened 25 years before that has nothing to do with the present situation, but something in the present situation triggered that. So, yeah, I think it's hard for me to sit with certain people sure. and I have to fight through my prejudices to to sit with them. And I think going back to what you said about hopelessness, and I think that's a space that's hard for me to sit in when, when the person I'm talking to like is hopeless and, and, and we'll, talks we'll about give you and it's, it's not you to offer them hope. <laughs> it, yeah. Or just, it's not right. going to get better. It's right. never going to get better. Right. And I, I want to say, no, it is like, there is hope. There is somewhere to go that you, it gets better and that, you know, their entire experience or their life or whatever the thing is like, there's a hopelessness. I want to fix that. And I want to sit there and go, no, 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 like, it's, it's okay. It's going to be better. And, and it's hard for me to sit. And, and when I'm sitting with my little sister, Ruth, and she is weeping and sobbing because every morning she wakes up with muscle spasms that just kill her and she's in constant pain and she, you know, and she says, Ron, I just long to be healed. If I could just, just even for a day, you know, if I could just have respite for, and so I, it's that thing. It's like, I can't help. I can't right. fix it. I, I can't, can't make it right. Everything in me wants to. And so all I can do then is turn to Jesus and say, please, could you, is there any way like you could just, I know you don't normally just heal cerebral palsy, but you could. And would you like, please? And I, I beg that of God a lot because of that, 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 and I, I hate that feeling too of hopelessness of just my own, my own hopelessness and that I have nothing to offer except Jesus. Right. And I mean, I think it's, it's interesting if we go back to the authenticity sermon that I preached and looking at revelation where, uh, Jesus says to the Laodicean church, like, you know, come by of me, these things. So like authenticity, like, is this like feeling and understanding your own brokenness and other people's and being able to like pour out both your joys and your sorrows at the foot of the creator of all things, the, you know, the, the one who is and allow him to take over on that and, and take hold of those things. That gives me a lot of hope. I don't know if it always gives other people hope in that right. moment. Right. In but the it gives moment. me hope for the future right. of my relationship and their relationship with God. Well, I think that goes back to um, rejoice with those who rejoice and uh, mourn with those who mourn, right? So when I'm with my little sister, I can mourn her loss because it's a real loss. Um, and, that's, and then I can turn around and rejoice when good things... But often those happen simultaneously. So sure. you go to the wedding and the bride, it's the best day of her life. 
but the bridesmaid who longs to be married and it's the worst day of her life. It's the worst day of her life. <laughs> so how do you rejoice with the one who's rejoicing, and how do you mourn with the one who's mourning, and how does the one who's in the middle of their rejoicing remember to mourn, and the one who's in the middle of their mourning remember to rejoice? I think that's where the hard, difficult things of community often happen, um, and that's where, and that's where Jesus, you know, please come close. Well, I think too, like that goes back to another value of our disciplines of like being willing to live in the discipline of the present. Right. Because like, I, I was just listening to someone talk about how, like, you know, when, when you sit down and, and you are listening to somebody and then you begin to daydream, like you've let your subconscious brain take over and you're no longer in control and you're actually not present. You're disassociating. Right. And we all disassociate a lot. Um, and so it's hard to mourn with people or rejoice when we're kind of in and out of reality ourselves. And so there is an element of being disciplined to be present. So when you're right in front of the girl who's desperately wanting to be married and can't be married is at the wedding, you're with her right then. And you may then walk across the grass to the you know, one who just got married and you're really excited that you're able to be in that present. And not. And I think the daydreaming part is the part of us that's, I think actually maybe part of the sinful part of us is like, got to escape, got to escape. As an avoidance mechanism. Right, the world is just too hard. We can't, Jesus is not enough for this, so let's just right. sort of disappear. And okay. I think with um, um, my, my little sister, with, you know, like, it does seem hopeless in that I've never heard of someone who has cerebral palsy suddenly having all their muscles work fine and <laughs> go walking around and no longer right. need their service dog. So so it is where you start doubting the goodness of God yourself. And then you have to remember that just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it can't happen. And just because, um, you know, and then what, and then who is my little sister? She's this incredible godly woman who perseveres in faith like no one I know. Is a prayer warrior who loves Jesus deeply. So sometimes she's actually saying, Rod, it's okay. I'll be fine. You know, And someday I'm going to go run in heaven and it's going to be awesome. So, you know, she almost pastors me because, because of that, that avoidance. I don't even want to think about that kind of living like she has to live often and so yep yeah yeah well when you were talking and then i should probably end i was just thinking about the fact that i was struck in prepping for this sermon not the accessibility one but last week's that like a lot of times we expect grace to be cheap like and that right. really struck me is like part of being authentic is being willing to be refined it's the cerebral palsy, that's a suffering. Right. And yet it's a sweeter grace than any of us, you know, who can walk upright without the pain that she has, has no real concept of. Right. Right. I mean, obviously we have our other places in our life that are different, but that's like, there's a crucible to grace, to the, to the, to the refined fire, like the depth of, I don't know, authenticity, authentic experience with God. And most people that live with chronic deep, pain are amongst the most godly folks I know. They are so intimate with Jesus and his ways. And personally, when I was struggling with a really bad 
neck issue and had major surgery. I was in tremendous nerve pain, damage, nerve damage pain. Um, but somehow in all that, I found intimacy with God that I never found when I was okay. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. Um, there's something about pain and suffering and struggle that drives us to Jesus, and we find Him there. So, would you say that living authentically means acknowledging the the pain, and that in an, in the acknowledgement of the pain, there is a, a a greater, sweeter grace? Yeah. In relationship with Jesus. Yeah, which is the antithesis of what we think. I'm going to get closer and yeah. closer to Jesus by being more and more studious and more and more you know, learn more about Him. Well, the way you learn about Him is joining the suffering, which is what he invited us into. <laughs> well, I think I appreciate you guys doing this. We probably talked for a good long time. <laughs> um, and uh, this is Faith Over Breakfast. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Rod. Thanks. Uh, for, for stepping in for Andy. To be authentic, this is actually breakfast. It's lunch. Okay. <laughs> it's the well, afternoon. It may not, it may not even be lunch. <laughs>